Food Freedom Radio, where we plant and nourish the seeds of change. I'm Laura Hedlund, a student of permaculture, a person who knows cheap food is not cheap, unless, of course, you've discovered the joys of cooking a corn gruel. I mean, really, uh, there's a lot of things you can do with very simple cornmeal. You just mic it for a few minutes, let it stand, then flavor it as you like. Um, maybe add some garlic olive oil from a vinaigrette, some local spices, some frozen corn, and voila, you have corn gruel, um, sort of like a polenta, but just a really simple, easy one. I'm also a person who is um, seeking and um, trying to stand up to uh, for a uh, kind and sane world. <sighs> kind and sane world. Uh, behind the glass is Brett. Um, good morning, Brett. Hey there, Laura. Hey, finally, it's going to be a nice weekend. Exactly. <laughs> Lots of gardening. So, I mean, later in the program, we're going to be joined um, by uh, Tara Ritter when she's with the Institute of Agriculture and Trade Policy. The issue, the mission of IATP is to ensure fair and sustainable food, farm, and trade systems. And we're going to be talking about uh, the federal COVID-19 relief. Um, she's recently blogged about how the big farms are taking all the money and the little farms aren't getting enough. And so that's going to be what we're going to be talking about in the second half of the program. First, we're joined uh, by uh, the Minneapolis Farmer's Market. Um, good morning. Good morning, Laura. How are you doing? Great. And this is Sine uh, Plagenkuhl? Did I say that correct? Sina Plagenkuhl. Sina. <laughs> Sina. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you're kind of new to the farmer's market on the staff yeah, there? I'm new. Yeah, I'm new with working with the farmer's market, but um, like many of us, uh, I've had very, um, I started with the farmer's market as a small child going every weekend with my mom. <laughs> yeah, so tell us about as a small child going every weekend to the farmer's market with your mom. What, what was that like? You know, I um, I come from a refugee family. Uh, so we were brought here to California and then eventually migrated to Minnesota with my dad and um, to work for Mindat of all places. Um, the snow uh, definitely kept him in business as a car driver. Uh, but we grew up with not a lot of money, and it was a way for us to connect with the community and other um, farmers and kind of have that. My mom kind of explained it as an experience that she had in her village in Cambodia, going to the market every day to get her food. Um, so it was something that we, a special thing that we shared together growing up. Oh, thank you so much for sharing that um, story. Um, well, what is how has the Minneapolis farmers market been affected by COVID nineteen? Uh, you know, the Minneapolis farmers market has been affected by COVID nineteen, very similar to a lot of the other essential businesses. Um, so, under Governor Walt, um, we are all the farmers market are essential businesses, and so. With the vendors, the farmers themselves, they are, you know, used to having, you know, the same stall for the last 30 years or so, let's say. Um, and we're asking everyone to spread out, change their business processes a little bit so that it can, um, so that everyone can be safe. And that goes for the customers that come in, that come from visits as well. Um, so we're asking everyone, uh, to, by all means, have the Minneapolis Farmers Market to continue to be their happy place, but to also know that there's going to be a different experience when they arrive. I love you. So that you want to continue it to be the happy place, 
continue to have you a happy mm-hmm. place. But we do want to make some changes. So let's talk about some of those changes. Like one thing that I love doing when you're buying a produce is to actually pick it up and touch the produce and see which one is right for the type of cooking you do. But now it's probably best to to let the vendors pick the produce for you. That's exactly right. So, I mean, you're still going to have a connection that you've always had with our farmers. You can ask them, you know, what what they specialize in, you know, what products are in season right now, that type of thing. Um, you're going to see that some of them will have, you know, plexiglass between you or there'll be an additional table in front of you so that you can maintain that six-foot distance. Um, but th- unfortunately, there's not going to be any sampling involved. Um, I talked to a one of our cheese vendors, and he's like, it's so weird not being able to offer samples because a lot of times that's also a conversation starter for them. Um, and so this time around, what we're asking our customers to do is to, you know, figure out what you want ahead of time, take a few minutes to talk to your farmers and your vendors, shop quickly and efficiently, and maybe not bring the entire family with you, um, one person if possible, and then um, they'll do everything for you. So if you were looking to, you know, get some meat from one of our farmers, just ask, and then they'll present you what they have. A lot of them will have menu items, um, like almost like a menu for you to review. And then uh, we also have pre-order and pickup options, too. Right. So uh, tell us a little bit about how those pre-order um, options are working. So you're actually going to contact the vendors directly. Um, and so we are utilizing all of our communication tools uh, to get that information out to the public. You can go to our website, mplsfarmersmarket.com, to all of our social media pages, our newsletter, um, to get the contact information from the vendors. And then we have a designated area for pickups as well. Um, so if you, you know, don't want to park, you don't want to enter the market, you want, you know, no contact with, you know, as less soon as possible, there's an area um, with a huge sign for pickup that you can coordinate with your vendor, or you can call in advance. A lot of them are requesting for you to call 24 hours in advance um, so that they can prepare, and then you can pick up, pay in advance, um, or use your credit card or cash. And uh, some, I mean, uh, there's, uh, right, there may be um, a, a lower quality, uh, lower quality. There's always, uh, the industrial food system is struggling right now in all sorts of different ways. So people may want to think about uh, filling up their pantries, um, buying extra meat, putting more things in the freezer if they want to do that. So it might make a lot of sense to, to put some thought into that and then order 24 hours in advance so that you have yeah, those yeah. for other times. And um, some of our vendors have already thought about that as well. And so they can have, like, um, you know, kind of like a kit that you can purchase. So for, you know, this amount of dollars, you'll get this, this, and that. And so we're trying to make it easy as possible for our customers to continue to support our farmers. And then so also that our farmers feel supported um, by the community and have that access um, here at the market. And what are the hours so um, we have started our summer season hours that started on April 25th. We're open every single day from every day. 6 to 1. Every day, yep. 6 to 1. Um, from 6 to 7 a.m., we're going to reserve that time for the elderly or people who are sick um, or are prone to sickness. Uh, but other than that, it's 
still feels like the Minneapolis farmer's market, but um, the processes and how you shop and that type of thing, uh, very similar to other essential businesses, will change. Okay, and so, um, uh, and but you did have to close uh, one of the markets, so you have now the flagship Lindell Market open. Yes, that's correct. So, you know, as as we start, you know, turning that dial and everyone going back to work into the office, uh, we'll uh, we consider opening the Nicollet Mall market. Um, but a lot of those vendors have voiced opinions about coming over to the Lindale side. So you'll start, you'll still have that same experience, but just in one location at our Lindale. And you, you also have a fundraiser going on right now for some, because some of the vendors are having a hard time right now. Yes. Um, so we we are asking our what we call our friends of the market um, to help us by volunteering um, their time because with all these necessary changes, we'll have to do customer counts as customers come in. We have signage all over. Um, we're helping our farmers adjust to the change. And with that, if you can't volunteer your time, there's still plenty of ways of donating. I mean, you can visit us at... Um, MPLSFarmersMarket.com to donate funds. Um, And if you can't donate, then if you can be here with us to help us along the way together as a community, it would be greatly appreciated. And tell us again, how would would people, if they want to volunteer, and that sounds like a fun thing to do. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) it really does. It it sounds uh, fun. In fact, I'm going to joke, we actually got together a little bit. Um, We've been staying extremely safe. But I was with, uh, on Mother's Day, um, with four four of us were together, and someone said, oh, it's so fun to wash dishes. (laughs) And I I thought it was the most coolest experience, because it's like, oh, that is fun. And and we kind of, that's one of the uh, gifts of this time, is to wake up to the simple things, but um, to be at the farmer's market and helping in a very safe way um, control. So how would someone sign up if they wanted to uh, volunteer? You know, they can contact me directly. Um, Information is on the website. Otherwise, it's my first name, Sina, at mplsfarmersmarket.com. And, or they can call the market and um, they'll be able to reach myself or the general manager, Mao Lee, mm-hmm. and we will get them all set up. Mm-hmm. Great. And how do you spell uh, Sina? It's S as in Sam, I-N-A. S-I-N-A. S-I-N-A at the Minneapolis Farmer's Market if you want to find out more about volunteering. Um, okay, and so um, we're going to need to take a break a little bit, but one thing I'm going to want to get into in the next segment is the importance of the farmer's markets, and especially as we're witnessing what we're, wishing, wishing, what we're seeing right now with the industrial food system. So, but before we go to break, I want to really understand all of the changes that you guys are making in order to make this a really safe, it's your happy place, but in order to be happy, we also need to be safe, right? That's correct. Yeah, so, you know, right away when you come to the market, you're going to see that there is a perimeter around the entire market, which is which is strange. You know, normally you can come to the market, you can park all around and enter in as you please, uh, but we have two entry and exit points now on the north and south side of the market. Um, there you'll be greeted by um, one of our volunteers or staff members, um, and then we're counting everyone that, that can enter so that we can allow enough 
space for everyone to be six feet apart. And the, one of the biggest changes you'll see is that there will be directional arrows for our customers to follow. So underneath the sheds and along um, the ground, there'll be arrows to show you where you can walk, walk alongside um, so that everyone can be um, safe, the vendors and the customers. Great. We can stay in our happy place and be safe. So we're going to take a break and you're listening to, when we come back, we're going to talk about the importance of the farmer's markets. Um, and when we're, and you're listening to Food Freedom Radio on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Hey Jude, don't make it bad. Take a sad song and make it Welcome back to Food Freedom Radio, where we plant and nurse the seeds of change. I'm Laura Hedlund, and joining us by phone is Sina uh, Plagenkuhl with the Minneapolis Farmers Market. And one of the things I want to talk about in this segment is just the vitalness and the importance of farmers markets. Um, we're gonna and later in the show we're gonna be talking about the talking with the Institute of Ag and Trade Policy about concentration in the agricultural system. Um, and you know we've we've seen in the industrial system we've seen milk poured down the drain, crops plowed under, hogs and chickens being killed at the same time that there's this growing food insecurity. So it can all drive us kind of crazy, right? It's not my happy spot, let's put it that way, right? And so at the Minneapolis Farmer's Market, it's it's a different food system than this industrial supply chain. Um, do you agree with that, Sina? Yeah, 100%. Um, we, we have farmers that are just starting out and smaller farmers that have been around for decades. And the other thing, one of the reasons why the industrial food system has been um, running into these problems is that it's so focused on sectors. So the restaurant eggs go here and the uh, eggs for the supermarket chains go there. And when this crisis hit, they weren't able to integrate. But with the Minneapolis Farmers Market, you've had local restaurants buying products from your local farmers. And so this is a, a completely different type of ecosystem a living ecosystem. Yeah, that is correct. Um, you know, when we talk to the farmers at the market and you ask them, you know, who who else are they supplying their products to beyond our customers? And a lot of times you do hear that it's other local restaurants and that type of, type of um, sale. Uh, but I would say during the time of COVID, our farmers, are understanding the differences um, that everyone is experiencing and they're putting our customers first uh, before, um, you know, big market, before, you know, the big grocery stores and, and uh, other local restaurants. Well, that is interesting because is there, I mean, so are your local independent farmers finding that there's more demand for their, for their food? You know, they are finding more demand, um, but at the same time, that they, they understand who their their loyal customers are. And they're the people that come to the farmer's market religiously every week uh, to get their produce, and that's who, who they want to serve first. Cool. And, yeah, as part of it is, is having this community with our food. Um and um, the other thing is um, you've, people can also maybe looking for different job opportunities right now. So having a food business, which is going to be the topic of the show we're going to do next week, we're going to have AURI on and we'll be talking about how to start a food business. 
But um, but has there also been increased demand for um, people who want to be a vendor at the Minneapolis Farmers Market? Yeah, you know there are people you know still asking us um, during this time. Hey, how do we become a vendor? How do we become a part of this? Um, you know, mushroom produce. There's you know there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, different things that are are happening right now that people are noticing and becoming more involved with, and they they see us as that community resource, that meeting place, almost like a tourist drop. But most importantly, this is a place for people to find a great selection of fresh and local plants and produce. And um, we're seeing that people are still finding those endeavors and still wanting to, to utilize us as that. Uh, right now, due to the changes of the market, um, with the spacing and, and making sure everyone has enough room, we're not accepting any new vendors. But we're asking everyone to still stay in touch with us. You know, um, as everyone else, we're taking this day by day, and as things change, like we want to still have that connection um, and still be utilized as that place for people to start start their food business. And we'll talk more about this next week, but there are cottage food laws. Sometimes that was nicknamed the pickle law. Um, and it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's like $50. And there's a lot of information out there on uh, both the Minnesota Farmers Association website. It's linked to there and the extension services about how people can start, um, start their own small food businesses. Um, cause it can be a fun way of making money. Oh, yeah. And it, it's a lot of people's only resource of money. They've turned it into that. So the dream is still there and it's alive and it's well. Cool. I like that. The dream's still there. Um, so we're going to be um, wrapping up here in a little bit. But tell us again about what products that might be available right now at the farmer's markets. Um, it's a great day on Sunday. People want to go down there, buy their plants, their veggie plants. Yeah. So our plant starters, so our greenhouses, have all different varieties of different herbs and vegetables and unique types of plants. Um, we have our meat vendors um, and eggs as well. I mean, if you come to the market, you have a range from goose eggs, chicken eggs, to, and learn about all different types of things. Uh, but we still have um, our, our prepared food vendors that is with all food being to go, we just want to remind all of our customers about that to shop first and then grab your, your you know, your annual brat and take that home. Um, but, yeah, you'll, you'll notice that this time of year, it's a huge time for everybody to get going on their gardens and to get those hanging plants, flowers, um, and produce. Yeah, I know my friend said, okay, do they have bitter metal, 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 melon plants at the Minneapolis Farmer's Market? So i got to get down and see if you have the bitter melon plants. Um, I think I did see a few of those last week, so I think you should come by and check it out again. I, I think, I think <laughs> I'm going to have to uh, drive separately and keep our six feet uh, distance, but go down there. Okay, again, where are you located and how do people shop there? So we are located at the Lindale Market um, in downtown Minneapolis. Um, and basically, uh, there are, since there is a perimeter around the market, um, make sure that you look at those street signs and make sure that you're not parking in the wrong spot. Um, but you can park all along the market, um, as you normally did. We'll have our bike stands out, so just by bike, walk, uh, public transportation, it's all still accessible. 
Um, cool. Uh, Sina uh, Plagen Cool with the uh, Minneapolis Farmers Market. Um, what a wonderful day to get down there. Stay safe um, and uh, remember the different way of shopping now. Um, what other things might people expect from the vendors? Um, you might expect that the vendors um, will have just a different way of doing things. Um, so if you see that there's an easy way to get what you need with one of the packages that they're offering at a certain price, go for it. Um, and they're, they're noticing that a lot of people are buying a little bit more than normal. So uh, bring your own bags. Um, they have bags for you as well, but uh, just be prepared for the different changes and the different type of offerings that they'll have. Well, I thank you so much for your time, Sina Plagenkul. You've been listening to Food Freedom Radio. Um, and uh, thanks for get out to the Minneapolis Farmer's Market. What a beautiful day. Shop fast. Try not to touch too much produce, but might be able to find a bitter melon plant down there. So um, we'll be back. We'll be talking with the Institute of Trade and Egg Policy. Welcome back to Food Freedom Radio. I'm Laura Hedlund, uh, where we plan to nourish the seeds of change. Um, joining by a phone right now is Tara Wright-Rittner, and she's with the Institute of Agriculture and Trade Policy. The mission of IATP is to ensure a fair and sustainable food, farm, and trade system. So what's been going on with COVID-19? What are the relief efforts? And um, welcome to Food Freedom Radio. Hi there. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us. So a while ago, one of the reasons I reached out is I, I read this blog uh, of yours on how um, it's uh, that COVID-19 aid offers little for farmers selling locally. So a lot of legislation. Can you just kind of give us an overview of what has been passed to help agriculture? Yeah, there's uh, there's been a lot. And I will say, you know, as with so many sectors of the economy, this is one of the largest, you know, just disruptions generally. And so as everyone has been scrambling to pick up the pieces and make sure that, um, you know, folks are able to make it, it's, it's been kind of confusing and a hodgepodge of efforts. Um, but the blog that you're referring to, I had written about the um, coronavirus food assistance program, which was an agriculture specific aid package. Um, but there's there's been a few. I mean, first, there's the CARES Act that most people have heard of because it included those $1,200 direct payments. Uh, that also appropriated some money to farmers and to agriculture. Uh, that money was then rolled in with some other assistance in the uh, Coronavirus Food Assistance Program. And then, you know, since this is ongoing, there, uh, there's another stimulus package currently um, underway, and the House of Representatives has their version that they're ready to vote on, and the Senate does not have theirs yet. So that's kind of a high-level overview of the you know three major pieces that we've seen in stimulus relief. But there's always there's patterns. So um, in this blog, you pointed out that with uh, the during uh, the the relief passed to offset the Trump trade war. Uh, the top 10% of the recipients received 54% of the money. Um, in fact, the uh, top 1% of recipients averaged almost $200,000, while the bottom 80% received less than $5,000. So with our tax dollars, is, is, it a, is, it, is, our, is our tax dollars when it comes to this relief program, are they, are they supporting our values of sustainable um, and small farms? 
By and large, no. Uh, there have been some small wins, but I will say uh, in the CFAP program, the local and regional food systems are the ones that are um, largely left out, even though they're so critical to maintain resilient supply chains, uh, as we've seen as our big centralized globalized supply chains are breaking down. Uh, in that package, there's $16 billion of direct aid to farmers. Um, there are hardly any guardrails for how that money will be allocated. And the way that it was set up is that aid is going to be calculated per commodity. And so they've, you know, made these different buckets. There's, um, you know, there's livestock and there's, you know, different commodity crops and whatever. But there are a lot of smaller and more diversified producers, which are generally the ones who are selling into our local markets that just can't count their losses in that way. They're growing too many different types of crops. They can't lump it all under one commodity. That it's going to be really hard for them to access a lot of this money. And so if we were able to, you know, just speculate out into the future, my guess would be that this is going to follow the pattern of, like you said, those trade payments where a lot of the money has great potential to just land in the hands of, of the biggest farms. Uh, you know, there's so much. I'm, I'm tr- I've been trying to figure out what the most nonviolent way to deal with all this anger. I feel because <laughs> yeah. it can be it can be very frustrating. These are our tax dollars, and 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 it's just it, it it's it seems on so many of these programs, those with money get our tax dollars, and and it's just it's just not set up in a way that's that's aligned with the type of world I'd like to see, which what I would say would be a kinder, sane world. I mean, right now, the National Sustainable Agriculture Coalition estimates that local and regional markets will suffer losses of about $1.32 billion. And so these smaller farmers are the ones that are being locked out of the public support. Yes, that is true. And I, we've seen the closure of so many major markets, schools and restaurants being major ones, all farm to school programs, people selling into restaurants locally. Uh, I think schools accounted for 7% of the milk consumed in the entire United States and dairy farmers are already facing a huge crisis of low prices. And so, you know, that's something that we're seeing, I guess, on farms of all sizes, crops are being left in the field, milk's being dumped, like prices are so low and the supply chain is disrupted to the point where it is um, more profitable and profitable is the wrong word because there's no profit here to leave things to rot and to dump them out than it is to um, process and sell them. And of course that is going to be much harder on, on the smaller and mid-sized farmers who are operating on, on really thin margins and who really depend on those local and regional markets. This is so hard to wrap our heads around because on the one hand, we're hearing that prices for farmers are at incredibly low rates. I mean, pass, I mean, just they're, they're losing money. And then on the other hand, the price of food is going up. Yep. Yeah, there are, um, I mean, as you know, a lot of middlemen in our food and agriculture system. And as consolidation continues, you see the money concentrated more and more, and I'm not talking about stimulus money here, but just money from the whole food system being concentrated in um, in the processors and in those those middlemen in the, um, you know, the food and ag companies, agribusiness, in the larger companies are raking in record profits while 
farmers are receiving less and less and are dealing with a lot of volatility in other ways too. I, I think there was actually a lot of hope for 2020 after 2019. Uh, you know, we're here in Minnesota and those floods were so bad and the snows last February that last year was really rough on farmers. And I think there was kind of a sense of hope of maybe this year will be better as, you know, dairy prices were kind of creeping up at the end of last year and, you know, there's no way it was going to be as wet of a spring as last year. And so this is just another kind of kick to, to people who've already fallen down. And I know, I mean, once you once you get, if you get up and you get beaten down, you get up and you get beaten down, you get up and you get beaten down. After a while, it's really hard to get back up. That's true. That is true. And I think that's especially true for um I'm sure for all farmers, but there is a sense of identity, too, if you are, you know, the fourth or the fifth generation on your farm and it has made it through all those years. And suddenly you are the one who is unable to to keep it viable. And I think a lot of people internalize that and um, think of it as though they're a bad producer and they failed when really it's this larger system that's really out of their hands. And we're seeing, too, a lot more emphasis on mental health and the farm system and the link there. Um, I know that the University of Minnesota has been doing a lot of um, mental health hotlines for farmers. Um, we see Farm Aid uh, having their hotline open and um, just anecdotally hearing from them that there are a lot more uh, calls from people in emergency and from people talking about suicide even and just looking for for a way out and so there there really does need to be an emphasis on on mental health and being able to talk about it right now because i think farmers really are feeling like there's you know there's no way forward and why farmers are feeling that i think uh i mean last i heard it's like 40 percent of those who make less than forty thousand um are unemployed right now and yes there's uh, good unemployment benefits at this moment but we don't know what's going to be next um we a lot of people are expecting food prices to go up um and so there's so much stress um for people who want to eat yeah and need to eat <laughs> yeah um and it's, you know, one thing, too, is as we look forward, um, I know that there's all this tension between Democrats and Republicans of how much we can be spending and, you know, government debt and, you know, can we pay out another multiple trillion of dollars? But I think the answer is that we need to. Uh, and one thing I can touch on is um, just this week, uh, Congress is talking about the next stimulus package. And this one, um, the one we've seen so far, was put together by the House Democrats, and they're calling it the HEROES Act, which, what does that stand for? It stands for Health and Economic Recovery Omnibus Emergency Solutions. Cool. <laughs> um, but the, the HEROES Act, it's meant to center the, the frontline workers, the people who are deemed essential. Uh, and, you know, there are things in it like increased pay for people working on the front lines, uh, you know, increased standards from OSHA. Uh, and um, protections for workers, but also within that, uh, you know, are expanded SNAP benefits, expanding SNAP benefits by 15%, um, boosting unemployment benefits, uh, and then another round of direct payments. And then in addition to that, they would be doubling this direct assist assistance for farmers and ranchers. And I know that there are a lot of Democrats who have 
thought about and written. And um, Nancy Pelosi and some others actually just released a really good report on how this is disproportionately impacting rural America and some of their ideas to address that. And I think a lot of those um, things would be uh, integrated into this HEROES Act. So there are, you know, there are certainly ideas out there. Uh, This is expected to pass the House tomorrow, but then of course it's going to have to go to the Senate, which is Republican held. And they are currently on a slower timeline working on their own version of the next stimulus bill. And from what we've heard, their focus is more on protecting companies from potential lawsuits as they reopen. So there is this tension here of being able to read through this HERO Act and seeing some really good things in terms of uh, money for local agriculture, um, for food stamps, for unemployment benefits, uh, and then hearing the tension on the other side of the aisle of their, you know, wanting to be more of an emphasis on protecting the companies, uh, when really, you know, as we've seen, that system and that status quo is, um, it's so unstable. And it's really vulnerable to disruption. I'm reading a book, and I haven't got all the way through it, so I'm a, but I'm reading a, um, Peter Joseph's book on the new human rights movement. And he, Peter Joseph uh, did a movie years ago called The Zeitgeist. And uh, But one of the things he said is we have this uh, – he believes that, that we need to be talking about the structure of our economy and that our structure of the economy is almost based on social dominance and violence instead of all – Um, researchers will tell you that people really prefer to live in equitable systems. I mean, that's where we want to go. But yet we have these structures within our systems. And and so this is an opportunity to sort of come um, awake and try to see the economic structures for what they are and decide, is that aligned with our values? And um, I'm going to take a break a little bit, but we're talking about this uh, unity in a time of polarization. Um, Someone that I've studied a little bit with um, says the first step is always to have the right atmosphere. And so maybe for someone it's praying, maybe for someone it's mindfulness, but to really have the atmosphere so that we can be talking about these complex issues um, in not a polarized way. And I was talking with someone who I'm sure votes differently than I do, but he is so upset about the hogs being killed. I mean, he was he was like, I was tempted to go get the truck and get 200 pigs. That's crazy. It's crazy what's happening right now. So is there a time that we can try to really understand the food system? And that's what we're talking about. We're going to come back. And we're going to talk more about with the Institute of Egg and Trade Policy. You're listening to Food Freedom Radio on AM 950. Welcome back to Food Freedom Radio, where we plant and nourish the seeds of change. I'm Laura Hedlund, and joining us is the um, is Tara Ryder with the Institute of Agriculture and Trade Policy. And before we went on a break, I was just talking about the whole structure of the food system, the fact that millions of animals are being killed, farmers have record low income, at the same time that uh, people are more in food insecure. Is the structure of the food system working for people? Uh, you know, short answer, and especially given that description that you just gave, uh, no, it is it is not. And I think that we're seeing these supply chain breakdowns. Uh, I mean, all you have to do is go to the grocery store. Uh, I, I mean, every time I've been at the grocery store in the last two months, there has been some shelf that is empty. Uh, and these supply chain breakdowns are are really the result of this consolidated system that's really vulnerable 
to disruption. And that um, that means it's not really look, working for people uh, because on the other side, you know, that's the, the once you see it on the grocery shelf side. But that's not because of a lack of food by any means. Um, you know, farmers have been leaving their food to, to rot in the fields. I think I read an article just this morning about a farmer and there was a picture of it. He had a million pounds of potatoes just sitting on the ground behind him Uh and just invited people to come take them for free. And it was because of processing issues that he sold his potatoes as French fries to restaurants and didn't have the infrastructure to package it in smaller packages to go to the grocery store. And so it's, it's things like that, that what is being grown is not uh, making it through the supply chain to get to the places that we need. It's not adaptable. It's not resilient. Uh, and, Again, you know, part of what could build resilience is more emphasis on local and regional food systems that are more nimble and able to change. And, um, you know, those are the, the farms that are routinely left out of the support that's given to ag. Right. And so um, the system's kind of rigged um, to support those that are too big to fail. Exactly. And you've brought up a couple of times now um, you know, animals, and that a lot of animals are being euthanized right now. Uh, at the same time, we're hearing about meat being in short supply and about outbreaks at meat processing plants. And so we can see that when there's one plant, the one in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, Smithfield plant that produces, I think, 5% of the nation's pork. So when something like that goes down, there is a giant processing failure. And again, it's not because of a lack of pigs. And there is, um, you know, I mentioned this before the break too, but massive mental health implications where farmers can hardly talk about what they have to do right now. Uh, you know, they're, they're having to go to go to, and it is, it is brutal for the farmers too, to have to make decisions such as uh, euthanizing their animals. And so, yeah, again, you're, it's concentrated and in the hands of the biggest processors. This show is named Food Freedom Radio for a reason. And I I hear, you know, we have no choice. We have no choice. And I would really rather have that spoken in a paragraph than a than a quick sentence. You know, it's like, well, the companies that are paying me, I'm, you know, the contract farming. So explain to us the difference. A lot of these farmers that have no choice right now, they're contract farmers, right? I think many of them are. Um, yes. And I will admit that um, contract farming is something I know the high level details of, but couldn't get extremely deep into. But the gist of it being that it is the companies that own the animals, uh, the farmers own the infrastructure. So, for instance, the hog barns, things like that, they're responsible for whatever debt goes into building those and maintaining um, that infrastructure, but the companies own the animals themselves. And so really, because of the debt that contract farmers need to go into to build that infrastructure, they're kind of stuck. Um, they don't really have a way out because if they um, break those contracts or try to leave, they're, they're still stuck with that debt that they had to go into to um, build and maintain all that infrastructure. So there is there is a sense um, among contract workers of feeling trapped. And I know that there's been a lot of advocacy from different groups about um, trying to just change to upend that system. And uh, and also trying to um, um, bring back the uh, small town uh, butchers and really maybe even looking at antitrust laws with some of this consolidation. Um, 
That was considered. I mean, I know we had Paul um, Sobinski on from the Land Stewardship Project, and I asked him what would Paul Wellstone do at this time, and he just gave a brilliant answer about um, uh, starting to really look at regional food systems and and having um, and, and breaking up the big. If, it's, if you're too big to fail and you're trying to feed the world, that's not a good combination, you know. Um, right. Yeah, and I mean, one thing, just because I know that um, I'm prone to just going down rabbit holes of, oh, how do we get out of this? Um, You know, one thing is that I can't, you know, CSAs, Community Supported Agriculture, I'm hearing are completely sold out. Um, I do know at least one um, local small-scale hog producer that's saying that um, people are just buying up the shares of her hogs this year, um, people are hungry to find food that is closer to them and that is locally produced. And I think that this is raising awareness of, uh, you know, where our food is coming from, what is happening in slaughterhouses. Uh, And then the fact too, just this ethic that I'm feeling around me of people wanting to support local of, you know, going and giving extra big tips to their favorite restaurants when they're doing takeout and ordering from their favorite small businesses, whether it's a, you know, bookstore or whatever. And I think that same thing is extending to food right now, which obviously change can't be completely consumer driven. I do not believe. Um, But I think that there is a bit of an awakening happening and and a lot more interest in purchasing locally. And so I'm hoping that there are, um, you know, at least a handful of farms that are, are feeling benefits from that this year, even though, again, like that can't be the answer. Yeah, I'm really, I'm really glad you said that because that's where I also feel a lot of hope is this moving towards more of a relational than a transactional type of economy that we, that we, you know, return that. I want to give you uh, some time to just mention where your website is and a little bit about um, IATP. Yeah. So, well, our website, first of all, is just IATP.org and we have a COVID-19 portal that our excellent communications team has put together. So it collects all of the blogs that we have written on the uh, coronavirus crisis, all the uh, press releases and efforts that we have been a part of, as well as uh, news articles and news from our partners, which includes, uh, you know, different resource packages that organizations we work with have put together. Uh, And so that is at itp.org slash COVID-19 and also accessible from our homepage. But we are an organization that was founded in the mid-80s during the farm crisis, really wanting to um, help farmers stay on the land. We are seeing um, more and more farmers being driven off the land uh, due to consolidation, um, due to encouragement from the federal government to get bigger, get out. Get bigger, get and, out. No, 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 no. Let's not get bigger, get out. Let's, that's just kind of a silly thing to think about. Let's all get in. <laughs> so, but you've been listening to right. Food Freedom Radio. Yeah, Food Freedom Radio on AM 950. Thank you so much, Tara Ritter with uh, IATP. Um, and thank you for listening. Uh, get out, enjoy the sun this weekend. Maybe hit the Minneapolis Farmer's Market. Um, take care. <laughs> 